0: Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mish It's business, but it's personal. <laughs>
1: Dizzy Gillespie with For the Gypsies, a nice jaunty way to start the programme here on Jazz FM. Good morning, it's me, Elliot Moss, with Jazz Shapers. It's the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. And have we got a shaper for you today? It's none other than Mr Barry Hearn, who is probably one of the most famous people behind the biggest sports in the world. He brought the world snooker, he's brought the world boxing on a major scale, golf, darts, fishing, you name it, he's done it, he's the man behind it you're going to be hearing lots of fantastic stuff about barry and his story in addition to hearing from barry you'll be hearing from our program partners at DeRea, some words of advice for your business and then there's the music and we've got some fantastic stuff today from the shapers of jazz blues and soul one of my favorites donald burr Bluesman eric bibb and this tribute to fat Waller from none other than jason moran Jason Moran with his take on Fatswaller and that was Ain't Misbehaving. This is Jazz Shapers, and as I said, Barry Hearn is my business shaper today. It's 45 years condensed into one hour of radio. It's never going to be enough. An extraordinary 45 years in business, by the way. No, that's not his age, though. Barry, you don't look a day older than 45, mm-hmm. obviously. Well,
0: Unfortunately, I'm coming up for 68, which is a bit of a shame, but uh, <laughs> thank you for the compliment. I will stay for the
1: entire programme. That's very kind of you. It's lucky, really, because we haven't got anyone else. <laughs> um, Barry Hearn, as I said, the man behind Snooker, brought us Snooker, and if you, like me, remember watching from... From the 80s on, it was courtesy of Barry Hearn. If you're into boxing, and recently, um, the amazing Anthony Joshua, well, Eddie, his son, is behind that as well. And if you have imagined why snooker became a global phenomenon, it's because Barry Hearn and his business has made it so. Thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. Now, I imagine you became a chartered accountant back in 1970. Your father um, and your mother weren't um, professionals they had a different background. How did young Barry Hearn mm. become the Barry Hearn that became a professional?
0: Well, my father was a bus driver, but unfortunately was ill most of his life. died when he was 44, succession of heart attacks. My mother was my driving force. She was a lady; She used to clean people's houses. And it began when I was 12 years old. Uh, we, obviously, we were council house people. And she came home one day and said, when you grow up, you're going to be a chartered accountant. And I said, why? She said, because the man whose house I cleaned told me today, you never see a poor one. You know, that line sat in my head and still to this day, that was my inspiration. You never see a poor one. And I said to my mother, what do they do? She said, I haven't got a clue. But I would go to school and careers masters would say, let's talk about the future. And I'd say, waste of time. I'm going to be a chartered accountant. And, of course, in those days, in the 60s, there were a lot of barriers to entry for from kids from my background. The old school tie hadn't gone to university. It wasn't about ability. It was more about class structure. Uh, and I was so lucky that I had a, a distant uncle who had a very small tiling business in Southend-on-Sea, and he had a word with his auditors or his accountants which were not exactly the largest firm in the world. Their address was 68 and a half Upper Thames Street. <laughs> True story, a three-partner firm, and they agreed to take me on. And they gave me the chance with just O-Levels uh, to become a chartered accountant, which I'm proud to say I qualified at 21 and was an FCA at 26. And I'm honoured to be a member of such a fine institute.
1: Now, that sounds the way you talk about it as if it was yesterday. Is your life super clear to you? I mean, you obviously have been remarkably successful and you mm-hmm. continue to be so, and there's, it's not just you now. There's legacy and your son and so mm-hmm. on. Is it that just you, you just grab hold of every day? Yeah. I've always had,
0: I think, uh, I've been limited in brain power from an academic point of view, but I've had the two greatest assets has been focus, once I've made my mind about something, I'm relentless and work ethic. I've never minded spending sixteen hours plus a day working because I enjoy my job and, and that's the case today. My wife is constantly saying to me, you know, is retirement round the corner? And I'm like, Well, if death is round the corner, yes. But I enjoy my life and that makes me actually I'm I've got the accountant in me. I write a lot of things down. You know, I make copious notes on everything. Nothing is really unrehearsed because I'm a professional. I do what I do to the best of my ability. Whilst the ability is sometimes limited, of course I have a a great team of people around me and some great advisors around me that I also rely on. But I never give them credit. We have a rule. <laughs> if something works, it's Bazza's idea. And if something's not, well, we find someone to blame.
1: There you go. Listen, if you if you haven't picked that up as a bit of advice, then you've got to stick it right on your wall and look at that every single day. Barry Hearn uh, talking to me here on Jazz Shapers. Lots more coming up from him. Time for some more music. This is Eric Bibb with Tell Riley. Baby, next time he come to town, if he need somewhere to lay, lay his body down. And mark my words, mark my words, mark my words. He'll be big king someday. The Bluesman, Eric Bibb, with Tell Riley. Barry Hearn, the chairman of Matchroom Sport, is my business shaper today. Um, Going from like that, as you said, you're a professional and professionals prepare. Mm. Friendship occurs with none other than the legendary Steve Davis. It happens, it evolves over the late 70s into the early 80s. At what point, talking about preparation, did you realise that this thing called snooker was going to potentially be a global phenomenon? How did you know it was going to be snooker? And then how did you make it happen? Well, someone much
0: cleverer than I said, it's better to be born lucky than good looking.
1: You know, He's very good looking, by the way. I have yeah, to but it,
0: He's giving me the stare. So I no, no, no. It's up. The whole point about people... I, I bought a chain of snooker hubs clubs on behalf of a company I was finance director of, which I subsequently ended up owning a chunk of the company but at that time it was just a, a phone call I know you're looking for things to do do you fancy a chain of snookers? now that happened and I did and I bought them for the asset value I thought so I don't know much about snooker and I don't know anything about snooker clubs but I know they're freehold properties in the middle of town centres so I can see the downsides limited they look the right price so we bought them Unknown to me, within twelve months, the BBC decided, although they'd been airing Pot Black since nineteen sixty nine, started off in black and white. and I won't bore you with the sad stories of trying to watch snooker in black and white. <laughs> um, but in the in the sort of mid seventies, the BBC started showing the World Snooker Championships, and the programme drove an enormous amount of interest into the sport. And I was the biggest snooker club operator in the country, but. It was just the right time, right place. You can be a genius. Uh if you're not in the right time, the right place, or the or the market is against you, it doesn't matter how bright you are, you you know, you're you're not gonna come out a winner. It's a bit like the sports promotion game, you know, people are very complimentary and saying, How did you do this? Wow, you're great, blah, you know, Anthony Joshua, where do you look, at the end of the day, you can be the worst promoter in the world if you've got the best product, you'll be successful. Conversely, you can be the best promoter in the world, as, of course, I am. And if I haven't got the best product, I will be a failure. So we are very much in the hands of circumstance, and you do need the lucky break along the way. In my life, I've had 10, 20 very lucky breaks because, obviously, the man upstairs felt sorry for me and, and gave me a lift.
1: I mean, I know that luck plays a role, and, and mm-hmm. then there's the old adage about the more you practise, the luckier you get yeah. and all that. But But the the kind of the self-deprecating piece aside there is that lucky break but then what you did with it the door's yeah. open how did you convert the, the, that opportunity into something that became well the, the, Be-
0: the secret is obviously is yes there is a certain amount of luck involved once you've had that luck the skill set then comes into the equation mm-hmm. and you start going back on some really basic business rules you know the business rules of supply and demand the business rules of targeting your market the most important is obviously, exploitation of sport. The exploitation where, and it can be just time, you spend every working minute, every working day, concentrating with the focus you need to have on exploiting a sport to its maximum advantage. Now, that sounds a bit brutal, but actually, sport is all about money, about aspiration, about inspiration, about dedication. And you to do to hit all of those targets, you need to expand the monetisation of a sport, and that was what—that was my strength. I saw an, I saw an opportunity, which was only there if I took advantage of that opportunity and created various opportunities within the feeling of the time, whether you're going off to China to play in the Great Hall of the People for the Chinese government and maximising the media involvement around it, making sure your personal profile, your corporate profile was high, making sure people knew how to reach you if they wanted you, making sure you knocked on enough doors, making sure that you never accepted the word no. Totally relentless pursuit of an objective.
1: You better make sure you took notes on that lot, because there's some proper making sure objectives there for (laughs) everyone listening to follow. Barry Hearn, my phenomenal business shaper. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, and before that, some words of wisdom from our programme partners at Mishkondorea for your business. Hi, I'm Richard Leedham, Head of Insurance Litigation at Mishkondorea. One of the things I always say to clients who come to me with a claim, whether it's against an insurance company or some sort of other financial institution, is be prepared to be in it for the long run because the opponents will try and wear you down. And that applies whether you're an individual or a relatively large company yourselves. Some of these institutions are set up to try and drive you um, to distraction and abandon the claim. So having the stamina and the appetite is very important.
0: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Rea. It's business, but it's personal.
1: You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, every Saturday morning here on Jazz FM. I have the privilege of talking to someone who's shaping the world of business. If you've missed any, then iTunes is your destination. There are probably around 100 of the previous 200 programmes. If you're flying with British Airways in the future, make sure you catch us over there as well. Barry Hearn is my business shaper today, and um, I hope you have pen and paper ready because he's been sharing some simple truths about how to succeed in business, which is what this program is all about. Snooker, as you said, the relentlessness was one thing and the knowledge of the thi- uh, of the sport and exploitation as you went along and monetization were absolutely key, and I-, and I get all that. There's also this sense that the next thing that comes along, and you said I've had 10 or 12 lucky breaks or 10 or 20 – you were behind the Bugner fight back in 1987. Mm. You hadn't promoted a boxing match before, if my sources no. are correct. So you moved from snooker where you said, I didn't know, and then I knew. Mm. How how again did you decide that that was going to be what you did next? I, I,
0: I thought after, you know, if you go back chronological order, I'd sold my snooker hall company in 1982. I was 34. I thought I could retire, you know. I'd made quite a lot of money for 1982 standards. And, of course, I thought, well, now I'll just go and play cricket and golf, go fishing, you know, made done my bit, paid for my house. Uh, and after about six weeks, I'm climbing up the wall, aren't I? You know, not enough action. So I'd always been keen on boxing. I, I, I tried tried it myself in my late 20s, and I, I frankly wasn't very good. I spent most of the time on the floor, and I think you're supposed to be standing up. Um... But I nevertheless appreciate boxing. I was a fight fan. I didn't think the standard of fights that was offered to, on offer to the public as a fan was good enough. And I did a couple of very small shows just to sort of see if I knew what I was... if I was right and what I was thinking, that there was an opportunity. I probably at that time was looking... To expand my interest in sport, you know, whereas I'd started Matchroom in 1982 as a fun thing for me and Steve to go around the world and spread the gospel of snooker and build the characterisation of the players. Uh, by the time I got to 87, being a Gemini, I do float around a bit like a butterfly. And I thought I need something extra to sort of motivate me. And I just sat there as a fan. Um, nearly every event I do, I do for me, not nearly. Every event I do, I do for me. And I style the event, the customer experience, the the technical quality, I style it on what I would like to watch. On the basis that I am uh, king of the working class, if you like. I think I'm a blue-collar prototype. I know what people want to do with their time. They want to be entertained. They don't want to be ripped off. They want to get value for their ticket price, etc., etc., etc. So... I thought it would be fun to go into boxing and do a fight that I, as a fight fan, want to see. And the fight I wanted to see was Frank Bruno, the nation's favourite, against Joe Bugner, who everybody hated because he beat Henry Cooper. I mean, this is probably before the time of a lot of your listeners, but it was massive. And the question then is, how do you suddenly jump into boxing? And I phoned Joe Bugner up in his home in Melbourne and said... Would you come over and fight? And he said, his own words were, it'll cost you a lot of money. (laughs) And I said, Joe, I think you got $10,000 for your last fight. I'll give you (laughs) £250,000. And there was a pause at the end of the line. And then Joe said, and what plane did you want me on? (laughs) And then I, that night, went round to see Terry Lawless, who sadly is no longer with us, and and Frank Bruno, who'd had a fight cancelled in the few days previous, and just slapped a contract in front of him and said, here you are. You want it or not? Uh, It's £300,000. We're going to blah, blah, blah. And he signed. So suddenly I had this fight. I went to see Tottenham. Irving Scholar was the chairman of Tottenham Hospital said, I want to do it at Tottenham. I don't know why I even went there. Uh, And it all sort of clicked into plan. And it was a fabulous, fabulous experience because I had no idea what I was doing.
1: But it made a shed load of money. Stay with me for more from Barry, um, my business shaper. To for some music, Donald Byrd and Falling Like Dominoes. That was Donald Burb with Falling Like Dominoes. Barry Holmes, my business shaper, the man behind snooker. You've been just listening to how boxing has happened. I just want to take you back for a second. You said something very, um, something that resonated with me about your mum. And your mum had said, mm. You've never, I never see a poor chartered accountant. And mm. then, as you said, you made your money first time round with the, the set of the snooker uh, clubs and the halls and so on. It sounds like money isn't really your your driver, Barry. It sounds like you're not really in control of of that bit just happens. It's a consequence. It sounds like you're yeah. driven by as you said wanting to do stuff that pleases you. And I don't mean that in a selfish way, but just yeah. stuff that that drives you, that challenges you. Is that is that fair?
0: I think as you get older and richer, you can develop principles you didn't have before. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, money was my driver, no question about that. I wanted to be rich. You know, I'd grown up uh a council estate, looking at the houses on the top of the hill, and wanting one. You know, I didn't feel envy. I just wanted it, and I didn't see any reason why I shouldn't have one. Uh, the t- today's world is a lot of, is a world of much bigger opportunity for young people. Those days, it wasn't. I had businesses starting up when I was twelve years old. You know, I had car washing rounds, window cleaning rounds, gardening rounds. I organised the kids to do it. You know. Uh, blokes from school, pals, whatever, anything to do, babysitting rounds, cleaning shop windows and anything to make a few quid because the only reason that you were limited was time. And the biggest excuse people use, I haven't got time for that. This is total rubbish. You've always got time for everything, just that you're lazy or you, you sleep too long or you, 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 you socialise too much. I led a very structured life with an end goal position of becoming wealthy. Not for the fact that I needed money, but I wanted to know that I was a winner. I, You know, business is just the same as sport, exactly the same. You have to have an inbuilt ability first. That's what God gives you. Secondly, you have to apply yourself. You have to be determined. You have to be able to be dedicated. You don't make excuses for failure. You don't accept failure. You will fail on occasion.
1: I was going to ask you about that. Have you ever failed Whoa. in your
0: own eyes? Yes, of course. Loads of times. And I keep those stories so quiet, I couldn't begin to tell you. My <laughs> ego doesn't tell you. I only concentrate on winning. My... My well, that's a, pa-
1: but that's a serious point, though, isn't it? Because yeah. obviously in four and a half decades of working and actually being at the top of what you do, you're going to have knocks. What I'm interested in is, we yeah, know, I won't no. ask you the stories, don't worry. No, but, no, no. But it's no. how you've reacted to them. What have you? Every time that's happened... I've reacted to them by working
0: harder. When people tell me about productivity, oh, you know, how do we boost our productivity? I said, well, have you tried getting up an hour earlier and going to bed an hour later? I said, you will add... 10 or 15% to your productivity if you can be sharp. You know, and again, things like physical fitness are important because it does keep you alert, keeps your brain working. So you have to build that into your routine. Now, when we analyze 24 hours a day, it is amazing how much time we waste. So try and eliminate waste because we're only on this earth for a short amount of time. So providing you can maximize, uh, and, and again, I in, uh, interrupt that to say, my father was not an influence on me in. Uh, He was an influence only in one way. Because he'd had several heart attacks during his life from age 28 to 44, the only thing he taught me was because he was frightened. Make every second of your life count because you don't know how long you've got. That, again, sat with me as a great piece of advice. So I maximise every moment of my life. I don't waste, I hope not, a second of any day because these seconds are priceless. They don't come round again. So you put that combination of you need a bit of luck. You're prepared to sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed. You have to be totally relentless if you really want it. Some people don't want it. Not everyone is born an entrepreneur. Some people have a calling. They may want to be a nurse. They may want to be a nun. Other people like not having responsibility, getting a salary, a regular salary every month. That suits their psyche and good luck to them. People like me don't. We play business like we play sport. We play to win. We play to be the best we can. And whereas money loses significance as you get older and as you make more, because unfortunately the downside is I don't get any time to spend any money because I'm always working. But that the point is I don't win belts, cups, trophies, gold medals. I win balance sheets and profit and loss accounts, and that's my game. And I want to win that game as much as any athlete that will be going to Rio later this year. And if you don't have that application and dedication, you will not be the success you could have been. You may still be successful by your standard, but it depends on the
1: horizons you set yourself. Final chat coming up with Barry, plus we'll be playing a trap from Christian Scott. That's after latest traffic and travel here on Jazz Jazz shapers
0: on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish Kondereya It's business but it's personal
1: That was Christian Scott with Twin. And if you don't know him, he's an American trumpeter. He's 33 and he's been nominated for the Jazz Innovation of the Year Award at the Jazz FM Awards, which is uh, sponsored by Mishkondorea. That's this Tuesday coming up. And it's going to be live here on Jazz FM from 9pm with Chris Phillips. Barry Hearn's my business shaper just for a few more minutes and you said we've got to make every second count so I'm going to do my best. Um, You've achieved so much and I can hear in you what I sometimes you you hear when you you hear a fantastic athlete who carries on delivering, who carries on wanting to be the very best they can be by their own standards. You meet a lot of um, very successful people Barry what differentiates the superstellar ones from the slightly almost there but not there what's the thing that you go they got it or they haven't got it
0: it's not one individual thing I mean the, the first thing you look for is something operating in the six inches between their ears a lot of people are born in fact in life people are born everyone is born with some unique ability the sadness is that most of them don't have the opportunity to find out what that ability is through circumstance or wherever uh, top athletes the difference between being what i call world-class and a global superstar involves a whole merit, myriad of, of different assets and would include definitely a brain certainly they've got to be the best at what they do but they've got to be a bit more than that in today's world you have to be a character you have to have some type of personality link and contact with your audience and it's interesting at this time because I think we've got a new one on the horizon here. You know, I thought Steve Davis had it and I think Phil Taylor in the world of darts had it. But I think Anthony Joshua that won the World Heavyweight title a couple of weeks ago is a global superstar in the making that will transcend sport. What you look with a real athlete to make a massive contribution to the world and to himself and his family is something different to everyone else. I would say David Beckham's got it, you know. Uh, Was he the greatest footballer of all time? Well, close. He was a good footballer. He was certainly world-class. Was he a global superstar? Mm, Knocking on the door. But outside of that, his persona has been lifted to where he's more famous post-play than he was in play. Anthony Joshua has certainly got the physical attributes to be reigning... And ruling the heavyweight division for the next ten years, should he keep his feet on the ground and apply himself properly? But more importantly than that, his persona, and his brain, and the way he expresses himself is such that he will appeal to a global market rather than just a boxing market. And I think we all look at our businesses and we look at our life and we say, you know, okay, we're we're the top at what we do. Uh, do we sit back and say, okay, just cash in on that? Um, or do we look to see how we can expand our horizons, look into different areas and actually appeal to a much bigger audience? And in, in, in the case of Anthony Joshua, it's a global audience.
1: Now, the difference between those people you've identified and you've done it very eloquently is that you run a business. You have mm. your son in the, is, yeah. is now being yeah. is successful in his own right. Legacy is different for you versus the sportsman, and what for you is is legacy even a word you talk about, or is it not like that? Because I know you're also you don't you know it doesn't get publicised very much, but you spend a lot of time and you donate a lot of money to charity. Mm. So is that a big part of what you want Barry Hearn to? When people think about Barry Hearn, that's what they think about.
0: Well, I mean, I think the showman in me doesn't really care about that. The showman wants people to remember the 1985 World Snooker Championships or Frotch Groves two at Wembley, you know, because that's what I live for to produce those type of evenings that sit in people's mindset for the rest of their life as a person. And you change during your life because your priorities are different. The legacy for me has always been about family. So my son runs my boxing division, my daughter runs my TV platforms and I have a wonderful group of people that I care about. So legacy in an expanded family has always been my priority once you've established that and you say to yourself, you know, you've, you look in the mirror and say, you've done okay. I mean, I've done okay. I don't think I've done great because I could have been 20 times bigger, but it wasn't the lifestyle I chose. I chose to live within my own confines of family. Once you've done that, you do tend, as you get older and softer and closer to God, to actually be a bit of a nicer person. And it's a bit scary, but I'm trying that route at the moment.
1: <laughs> Uh, well, listen, Barry. We don't know each other well at all, but you seem like a very nice man. I'm pleased to meet you 20 years ago because you probably would have punched me by now. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you um, here. Thank you so much for for doing it. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have well, you chosen it?
0: This goes back to my nostalgia days, as I say, as you get older. And whilst I'm not going to try and tell you that I'm a great jazz aficionado, or blues or soul though so you were in a blues band. but I was in a blues band at school in 1965 and we weren't very good and we did get drunk far too often but it seemed to be the appropriate thing to do because when drunk blues seems to have so much more significance and I chose a song that if I recall correctly I played bass guitar with a little bit of vocals and it's Howling Wolf and Smokestack Lightning
1: Smokestack lightning from Howling Wolf, the choice of my business shaper today, Barry Hearn, who confessed or rather admitted he'd been in a blues band himself. Talk about someone with complete focus. He knew he wanted to be wealthy from a very, very young age. Someone who's prepared to work hard, really hard, believes in work ethic being at the core of things. And as he said, using his own words, what's important in business is the relentless pursuit of an objective. Absolutely brilliant advice from my stellar business shaper today, Barry Hearn. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's 9am next Saturday here on Jazz FM. Coming up next, it's Nigel Williams with a look ahead to next Tuesday's Jazz FM Awards. Stay with us. Jazz Shapers
0: on Jazz FM. In partnership with Rea. It's business, but it's personal.